0: If you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Malachi? <clears throat> I'm going to be looking at Malachi chapter 2, 11 and 12. And um, I know I've been preaching through uh, Ephesians, but um, I decided to preach this on Sunday morning instead of Sunday evening because it is a very, very timely Malachi chapter 2. Please stand for the reading of God's word this morning. See the word of the Lord, reading 10 through verse 12. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another? Profane the covenant of our fathers. Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughters of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of a man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves also. As you sit under the proclamation of God's word. Let's pray. God and Father bless this time to us as your people. Be with me. and I pray that I would preach with clarity and unction of your spirit. And pray, oh God, that you would help me to think clearly pray that you would be with the congregation as they hear these words that it would be, Lord, for our benefit and for the glory of Christ. We again pray if any are here caught up in lawlessness, any here outside of faith, that you would grant repentance. pray in Christ's name. Amen. As you can tell by the verses that I read, Malachi deals with marriage in these verses. Next Lord's Day morning, we're going to deal with divorce. It is in the next section of this book. And Malachi is the last of the minor prophets. Israel has come back into their homeland. And they have fallen into very, very serious sins concerning worship, concerning leadership of the priest, concerning marriage. They have fallen into very significant sins. So for this morning, I decided to preach this for a number of reasons. And one is this that I think in our own day and age there are very few marriages that really reflect biblical marriages. What the Bible teaches us the marriage should be. Uh, in many homes, uh, they call themselves Christians, in many Christians' homes, there's no distinction between that family and a non-believing family. There should be. There should be a marked difference in a Christian family and a non-Christian family. And even as children, as children, your children's friends come over. They should see that there's something unique about your family as you talk about Christ, even in the company of those who are there. Also, families establish patterns of relating to one another, often that are not healthy to the marriage. We fall into habits, we fall into patterns, and we stay in those patterns. We stay in those habits of relating to one another, and they're not really building up us, uh, building us up in the uh, in our relationships. And there are some husbands that are afraid of their, their wives, and there are wives who are oppressed by their husbands, and that simply is not the way that it should be. And when you enter into uh, relationships that are not really biblical, uh, often there is an outburst of anger, raising of voices, even uh, foul language being used one to another. And I would remind all of you this, your children... Hear, and your children see when those things are happening, and it affects them. I don't know if you remember, uh, there was a uh, Jason Little, but his wife's parents divorced when she was in college. She wasn't home, she was in college, and it devastated her. There is something about a mama and a daddy that gives a foundation of support to children. And when that's taken away, a death, listen to this, a death is easier on a family than divorce. You hear that? A death is easier because there's no rejection. They died loving one another. The husband died loving the wife. The wife died loving the husband. That's not the case in divorces. But again, we're going to talk about that more this next week. When you ask someone if you desire, do you desire a strong, healthy marriage? In reality, if they were honest, they may say this. Yes, I do, but on my own terms. I want to have my way. I want to get things that I want to see done and live by the things that I want to see done. Well, in this sex uh, this morning, one of the most important questions, uh, that to be considered as you get ready to get married is the spiritual nature of the one that you are going to marry. Are they believers or are they not believers? Um, and, you all may disagree with this, but I'm going to say it anyway because R.C. Sproul said it. There are a number of people that you could marry and be happy with. Them. You hear that? A number of people you could marry and be happy with. them. There is that one person that God has in mind for you, but you don't know who it is. And if you spend your time trying to find that one particular person, it's like some special revelation is going to be given to you and drive yourself crazy. And I know some of them say, well, you know, I knew right away. I knew right away that this was who I was going to marry. I just knew it that God gave you some sort of special dispensation to see into his providence, to see into his private will, and you just knew it. I'm going to tell you when I knew I was going to get married. I was supposed to be married. It is when Bill Smith said to me and said to the congregation, according to the ordinances of God and the laws of the state of Mississippi, I now pronounce you man and wife. It was done. Yeah, I said, this is supposed to be. And uh you know, if you have that one special person, and it's um, Mary Lou, and then comes along someone else, uh, and you're married, no, two words: too late. Too late. It is a bond. It is a unbreakable bond. And God brings people together that is not supposed to be broken. Well, this morning, as we go through this, and this very, very timely, is very, very important. Uh, if you're married and you're happily married, that's wonderful. But if you're widowed, or if you're single, and if you're married, it doesn't matter. This is God's Word speaking to us, and it can be certainly helpful and instructive to us in our lives. Well, this morning I would have us to see this, that God forbids the children to marry outside of their faith, because marrying outside of one's faith will curtail commitment to Christ. I have known people that married nonbelievers, and it hurts the believer, not the nonbeliever. This business of uh, uh, evangelism and dating, uh, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. So it's laid out for us. There's three things this morning. The first one is the presentation of marriage. The second one is the perversion of marriage. The third one is the preservation of marriage. And the first thing, then the presentation of marriage, we go out to the origins of marriage. Genesis chapter 2, 18 through 24, the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. He's thinking, you see. He's making a distinction between himself. There's nothing here like, like, like me. There's nothing here. So that's what's happening. God's bringing Adam to a point of recognizing he doesn't have anybody. Continue on. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But to Adam there was not a, fit helper, not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he was asleep, he took one of the ribs and closed it up. And this is a great, well-known verse. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is the first marriage. Marriage does not evolve. Marriage is not a happenstance. It is a creation ordinance. And so God performed the first marriage ceremony by Adam and Eve. You may not believe that. <clears throat> you may read this and say, oh, I just don't, don't believe that. Do you believe in the incarnation? Do you believe Christ became, the God became flesh in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you believe that, this is easy. It's the scriptures. <clears throat> so he formed Eve from the rib of Adam. Well, let's see in the first place what marriage is is, is an arrangement that God arranged for the well being of the human race. He gave Adam a helper, a helpmeet suitable for him. <clears throat> now, you look at this, you think about this, how, uh, and just not to belittle women at all. I'm not going to go in that. Never mind. I'm not going to say it. I was going to talk about my dog. I'm going to compare women to dogs. I'm going to do that. But a dog is faithful. They never hurt your feelings. You can fuss at a dog. They wag their tail and just want you to love them. But that's not a suit, uh, not to not help me. The dog's not. It's the wife. It's the woman. And they're made for one another. Biologically, they're made for one another. Emotionally, they're made for one another. God provided Adam with a wife, and she was to complement the man. So it is for the good of men and women that God did that. It was his idea, and it's something that we still see taking place today. And understand this. He made them male and female, male and female, male and female. That's how he created us. And if you don't know the difference in that, take just a rudimentary biology class or just look around. And you'll see that that is indeed the case. Well, God created marriage for three purposes. That men would not be alone. That they would help one another in their relationship of marriage. And that they would subdue and rule over the earth. That they would worship him. God created men and women in order that they may worship him. That's a part of why we were created, to worship God. You know, it says in John, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, God desires such to worship him. He likes our worship. He wants our worship. He uh, expects our worship, as a matter of fact. And it is a high privilege to be able to worship the one living and the true God. He made us for that. Well, as God created, He gave guidelines for success in marriage. One flesh. That certainly expresses itself in the intimacy of the relationship. But it also demonstrates unity. That you're both in one canoe and you're paddling in the same direction, not going against one another. That you have the same goals, you have the same ends in mind, and you're working together to get it accomplished. That is what the Lord would have you to do. So it is that a man shall leave and cleave unto and his wife. is uh, There is um, that uh, becoming a new family. That uh, when they get married, they become a new family unit. A husband and a wife, and they have children, if the Lord grants that to them. Another one is that the marriage relationship is permanent. One thing can biblically dissolve a marriage, that's death. That's it, according to the Scriptures, according to God's good pleasure. Death is the only thing that can dissolve that relationship. So in the marriage vows, some people asked me one time not to put this in the vows uh, until death do us part. Uh, They did not want that in there. But that's the fact. It's also the fact that we're all going to die one day. But we die bravely as we die in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the home should be a fortress of comfort, peace, and security for the children. You know, when somebody bullies you as a child, when somebody hurts your feelings as a child, when somebody butts in line in front of you as a child, children can be so cruel. There's that home where that child knows he or she is loved unconditionally. There's comfort. There's peace. That's what the home should be like, too, the uh, little ones. So it is essential, since God gave these guidelines to us, as uh, for marriage, it is essential that we live by them. If we're going to have a biblical marriage, if we're going to have a happy home, then we are to abide by the guidelines that God gave to the church. And if we would be obedient in marriage, we must abide by those precepts. Where do we learn about Marriage. It's not through some citadel, not through some university. Most universities really, uh, state universities by no means, uh, advocate biblical marriage. Uh, Not at all. It is rather through the Word of God that we learn the precepts and the guidelines for a biblical marriage. One of the things that bothers me about people going to marriage counselors, especially if they're not going to a Christian counselor, you no know, telling what they're going to hear. There's absolutely no telling what they're going to hear because the counselor's approach is not biblical. If he's not a Christian, they're not going to approach the situation through the Scriptures if they're not a believer. It's not going to happen. Simply not going to happen. But if they're a Christian, you see, they've got all this, all this information. They've got these guidelines that God has given to his people. And they go to the scriptures to say how you should relate to one another, what you should do, and so forth. In the relationship, husbands, love your wives, as Charles read this morning, as Christ loved the church. That's a high calling. That's a high calling. Love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, to what extent, to the point of dying for them. That's a high calling. Wives, be submissive to you. Y'all respect one another. So, the presentation of marriage, the perversion of marriage in the text now is this. All kinds of things may come to mind when you think about the perversion of marriage. Promiscuity, sexual deviations, and so forth. But that's not what the writer has in mind here. It has nothing to do with sexuality, it has to do with the person you choose to marry. I have known uh, people that marry non believers. And what happened was the believer quit going to worship. That should not be the case. We must obey God rather than man. So Malachi brings this to the forefront here. He needs to look back at verse 10. In verse 10 of Malachi chapter 2, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? looked at this whenever I preached last Sunday evening. I can't remember when it was. In the last few weeks. <clears throat> Why, then, are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? What is he talking about here? When God brought Israel into a relationship with himself via Abraham and Abraham's promises, there were certain stipulations. We were supposed to treat one another in a particular way. That's true today in the church. You are to relate to one another on a basis of loving kindness, of tenderness, mercy, being forgiving to one another. Yet also at times the need for the confrontation if we are abiding in some type of sin. And when he says here, have we not all one father, that's not talking about Abraham, it's talking about God. Have we not all one God? We are united through that one God. He is our God. Therefore, we are to act like that as we interrelate with one another, because God cares how we treat one another. He cares how we behave one toward another. So that is what is given in verse 10. In verse 11 and 12, he carries it out further. In this, that the way that they are failing to honor one another, uh, to be loving to one another, is by introducing pagans into the relationship and into the church. Foreign gods are not gods. we we'll use that language here. They're not gods. And that's what he says here in the text. Uh, You're married to a daughter of a foreign god. <clears throat> now, we all know Ruth, and Ruth was not Jewish, but she was converted. And I love that. Your God will be my God. Where you lie, I will lie. Where you stay, I will stay. I'm going to worship the one living and true God. And you know, Ruth was in the line of King David. So it is that uh, if one is converted, but these people were not converted. These men are married here in the Old Testament. God had said, I will make you into a great nation. God said, I chose you particularly because I loved you, not because of your size, not because of your importance, not because of anything in the world, but simply because I chose to love you. Therefore, all of you are recipients of grace that are in this nation of Israel. All of you are uh, owing to me that you are a part of the nation of Israel and a part of the, having the prophets and having the covenants, all of these things, an expression of God's grace. But now he sees this. That you are worshiping, uh, marrying foreign women and it weakens the body. And if you notice this, look back at, um, uh, let's see, back at verse 11. Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. You hear that language? You hear how he's describing them? If you can listen to this. Judah has been faithless and abomination has been committed in Israel. And in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughters of a foreign God. When it talks about God's loving the sanctuary, that can be a term for Israel, his special people. He loves them. They have profaned it. How? By breaking covenant. Let me ask you this. Is it possible for one sin in a church to devastate a church? One sin, one person, and the answer is yes. I'll remind you of um, Jimmy Swigert. It Comes to mind. Many others. It is detrimental to the health and well-being of the church for anyone to get caught up into a lawless act. And if somebody does what Malachi is describing here, marrying a non-believer, I can't do the marriage. Simply can't do it. Will not do it. Because it is not right for me to do so. As a matter of fact, I would try to talk them out of getting married if that was the case. So these terms of condemnation, they had profaned the covenant, they had been faithless, and here they have done so by rejecting the dictates of Scripture. Let me read these things to you. <clears throat> Exodus 34:14 through 16, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and when they whore after other gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited to eat their sacrifices, you take their daughters from you, you go after other gods and make them your gods. Deuteronomy 7, 3 and 4. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons, or taking their daughters for your sons, that would turn away, they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul's dealing with Married couple, one dies, husband or wife dies, whichever one it is. And Paul says, you're free to marry. You lose your husband, you lose your wife, you're free to marry, but in the Lord. And then again, in the New Testament, you are to marry in the Lord. You're to marry somebody in the household of God. So when a believer marries a non-believer, it's a house divided. That's just the way that it is because the non-believer has no interest in the things of Christ, no interest in going to worship, no interest in prayer. He would say to the, the husband, may say to the wife, you go ahead and do those things if you want to. I don't, I don't care about it. I'm not going to do it. Or the other way around. What may say to the husband, you go ahead and be religious if you want to, but I'm not going to do that. And there was a couple in the church. Most of you don't know them, don't even remember them. where the wife was a believer, and the husband was not. Her burden, we got together to pray, was the conversion of her husband. That was a burden she had every single day. He was kind, he was nice, very nice man, but he had no interest in the things of Christ whatsoever. And that weighed her down. So you have a house divided when you have a believer marrying a non-believer. And finally, very quickly, the preservation of marriage, and that is this, repentance. You notice what God says about a believer marrying a non-believer. May God cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of a man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. May God cut him off. So God takes seriously his precepts. He takes seriously this command to marry within the family of God. Dr. Raymond one of my professors was teaching in class one day, and he said that people would come to him, want a believer, want a non-believer, want to get married, and they said we couldn't help it. He said, "You couldn't help it. Why'd you start into this at all? You could have helped it," he said. So we have to be aware that when we would please God in marriage, it is, in the first place, being married to a non-believer. And think about this. these words that, are, that describe unfaithfulness describe us. When we are sinning against the Lord and being unfaithful to God, we are an abomination. Uh, We are those who offend the Lord. So there's a call here for us, not simply in choosing who we may marry. That's the central part of the text. But to be obedient to God, to be obedient to Christ and to be faithful to him as we live our lives. And as we learned in verse 10, to deal with one another on the basis of covenantal relationships. Do we do that? Do we have a deep affection for one another? Do we have this sense of belonging to one another and then that we are all a part of God? If we believed that we were all a part of the same God, the same family to God, one God, one, one one Savior, it would affect the way that we treat one another. There would be no divisions in the church based upon anything, whether it's color of the skin, whether it's uh, economic background, whatever the case may happen to be. That would not happen. Because realize the unity we have in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. Next Lord's Day morning, we'll talk about divorce. That's the next section of the scriptures. So that's why I wanted to come to this this morning. Because over half of all marriages in this country end in divorce. More than half of them. That's up considerably in the past few decades. It's become accepted. But if we put into place the things that God has to say about marriage, things that are written in the scriptures, and then we'll be on the right path of having a healthy, strong marriage. Let's pray. <clears throat>